And you guys are ready for At The Movies to start in just a couple of weeks. Come on, give it up for the production team. If you're joining us online and you have never had the opportunity to be a part of our At The Movies series, or maybe you've been just kind of kicking the tires for the last few months, kind of finding this place is home, we do a series every fall we call At The Movies. Got some invitations in the hallway for you. Uh, it's a series that's, it's like no other series that we do each year. We take modern day movies, we weave a message through the middle on the way in. There'll be characters in the hallway for your kids to meet. There's going to be popcorn and candy and sodas along the way. And I just think church is better when you can eat chocolate-covered almonds and a little, uh, little soda in the middle of it. How many of y'all say amen right there, right? Church is just better when you can do that. And so it's something that we do in order just to reach out and kind of change the culture of church just a little bit. So I want to encourage you to invite your friend who's like, ah, I don't know, I've been to church, I don't do church. Say, look, got to try something new. Every week's going to be lots of fun. Every week's a different movie. And it'll be an incredible time for your kids to engage with church in a fresh and exciting way. Now, Today, we're in part three of our series that we simply titled Goats. We've been looking at the greatest overcomers of all time. And for fun, the last few weeks, we've been debating who's the best in basketball, who's the goat. We've already decided that. If you weren't here for that vote, it's Michael Jordan, everybody, okay? And if you're wondering who's the best quarterback, I have decided it's Drew Brees. I've taken away your vote on that one as well, okay? We, we look at the sporting world. We, we find goats, and we've just simply said that we believe Jesus is the greatest of all time. But we've also been looking at people who follow Jesus, who are the greatest overcomers of all time. We have a key verse for the series. It'll be on every screen at home in the room. I want you to read it full voice with me, if you would. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a very simple verse. The word overcome is rooted in the same word where we get the word Nike from, and it literally means to carry off the victory. When you wear Nike shoes, come on Jordan fans, where you at? You're saying that you're carrying off the victory, that you're going to win. And so the Apostle Paul is using the same root word to say that we can carry off the victory if we would like. We can overcome some of the things that have attacked our lives, that have set us back. And so in week one, we looked at the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of your New Testament, and he taught us how to overcome evil. That's his actual verse. He's like, you're going to face evil. Pastor, could you, could you be more positive? Yes, I'm positive. You're going to face evil in this world. It's still present. We are still still living in a world where evil is present. And you're like, I, 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 like to, I like to focus on sunshine and rainbows. Me too. But Jesus said that when you chose him, that you chose a side. And that there is an enemy seeking to devour your life, but our roaring lion is better. Amen, everybody. As Amber said, we believe in a, in a king who's stronger than the enemy. That was week one. Week two, last week, we talked about Moses, who is the premier writer of the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the law, and Moses really taught us how to overcome insecurity. God sent him to be a deliverer of his people. But if you didn't know this, Moses stuttered. He, he struggled with speech. And, and I always tease about how I start sweating up here. He really struggled with like getting the words out. And God called him to be a prophet to go and tell his people that he was going to deliver them. So he had great insecurity. We all face evil. We all face insecurity. But when we get to look into the Bible, this is the beautiful thing about the Bible. We get to look at the greatest overcomers and learn from them. 
we get to recognize that, hey, we're not alone in facing evil. We're not alone in facing insecurity. Can I say that to you today? That every one of us, even myself, every single service, every single week, I think, man, I've got this. And I stop right there and like, no, I don't got this. God, you've got this. I know that was poor English, but uh, go with me, all right? There's this insecurity we face in all of our lives. This week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper, and there's going to be this tension point, right? As soon as I tell you what the subject matter is, you're all going to kind of really get quiet because there, there's this tendency, like, if I, if I don't know what to say, the best thing is to say nothing at all. But today, I, I just want you to know that this is a great Sunday for you to say, amen, pastor, preach it. Two reasons why I preach better and I preach shorter. Can I get an Amen. Some of you didn't learn your lesson right there. Like, I tried to help you, okay? I tried to help you. And, and just know, if you're new to our church environment, we're just a little more dynamic, a little bit more passionate about preaching the Word of God than maybe what you grew up in. My favorite description of my preaching was last week when someone said, man, we, we really enjoy your weekly TED Talks. They're great. I said, wow, I mean, I think I've graduated. I finally, I've finally climbed the notch, you know, into TED Talks. But in, in all seriousness, our hope is to help you look deeper into the Bible and realize that it's not just a religious book, but it's a historical book that helps you to learn how to live. And by looking at other people's failures, other people's insecurity, other people's challenges, you and I can say, well, I can, I can overcome that. I can sidestep instead of becoming what the world is saying that we should become, we can overcome. Now today, week three, we're going to look at the life of Esther and how Esther overcame discrimination, how she faced great levels of discrimination, that there were many things that she could have easily said, ah, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? How am I going to make it? They said, I can only be this. They said, I can only do that. They, they, they. Instead, she decided something different and she overcame levels and levels and levels and reasons and reasons and reasons why she should not have succeeded, but she did. We pick up the story in the Old Testament book of Esther. If you've never read the story, I encourage you this afternoon, break open the Bible with your kids, break open the Bible by yourself. It'll take you about nine minutes to read the entire book of Esther. It's a beautiful story of how one young woman overcame all of the challenges of our world. We pick up the story in an interesting place because King Xerxes is throwing the party of all parties. He's in about 180 days. How many of y'all know King Xerxes was probably from New Orleans, everyone, right? <laughs> he knew how to party, all right? And so he's 180 days in, and he decides that he wants his wife to, she's a good-looking gal, she, he wants her to come show and kind of walk by. I like, she, he wants her to sashay by, right? <laughs> And show the world. That's another New Orleans one for you right there. And, uh, and we pick up the story, Esther chapter 1 and verse 10. On every screen, it says, On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, we know what that's like around here, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles. For she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Where are my spouses at? Y'all know how this goes, right? You can see yourself right there in the middle. 
According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, King Xerxes asked. And then Manikin, that's how I read that, not Menukin. Manikin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. He's done this for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she wouldn't come. And this very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. And there will be no end to the disrespect of women to men in the world. How many of y'all know that mannequin needs to be put down somewhere, right? This is where we pick up the story. And so King Xerxes, I can't even say his name, right? Xerxes, so maybe I can say it that way. He does what any self-respecting chauvinist would do. And he throws her out. And then he launches a top model campaign. Today it might be called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. He hired Tyra Banks and got to work. <laughs> this is a true story. In the very next chapter, we find out that as he starts his model search, that there's a young woman who gets thrown in with his harem to be chosen from who might be the replacement for this woman who disrespected him. We find ourselves in chapter two, verse five, again on screen. Now there, there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried off into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. How many of y'all know I need to get a pass right now for all those words, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Mordecai, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. Important thing to note. The young woman was also known as Esther. She had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. And when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken, I think it's an important word to notice there, was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. But she pleased him and won his favor. What? Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. If you read through that kind of quickly, you may miss the levels of discrimination that are present in the first two chapters of Esther 1 and 2. Like you could, you could just roll on by some of the things, but just for fun, I, I thought I'd list them for you, okay? If you're a note taker, it's a great place to open your notes app and write some things down. If you've got an old school pen, there, there's a worship guide there that you can write some things down. And if you're not going to write anything I say down, then, then why, why are you here? I don't know, but... Uh, <clears throat> Can I pick a little bit today? I hope I can, all right? 
The first area of discrimination she had to deal with was the fact that she was orphaned. If you spend any time with a person who was raised in foster care or was raised without their natural biological parents, there's, the, there's an immediate feeling of, of being an outsider in an insider's world because they don't have some of the natural things that you and I might have been brought up with. And so she was easily seen as someone who was easy to take and throw in the harem. She was fatherless and motherless. The Bible doesn't tell us how her parents died, but I I can't find any situation where when you lose your mom and dad that it's not traumatic. There isn't any context of that that makes you go, ooh, she's okay. Well, I'm grateful for Mordecai for taking her in and raising her as his own, but he, he wasn't able to even protect her from being taken into the harem. She was an orphan. She was without her father and mother. Secondly, scripture tells us that she was brought up in captivity. You hear that word again, exile, captive. Those are just pretty words for slave. She was living and brought up in an environment where she had no status. She had no class. She had no rights. That's why it was, again, easy for her to be put in environments where she could be discriminated against. She was an orphan. Nobody wanted her. She didn't have a place. Mordecai was trying to change it. But in the reality, he was a captive too. This is where she's at. To go a little bit deeper, the the next three, I'm going to give you the isms. Can y'all do that with me, okay? The next thing she faced, she faced ageism. And that is that she was really young. We still face this in our culture on both ends of the extreme. You're too young, you're, you're not important. If you're in the womb, you're really not important. And then there's this other side, if I could say that you get too old and you say, well, what's your value? Listen, all life has value. Can I get an amen, everybody? And you may call me old school, but I think that that you're alive at inception. I believe that when that heartbeat is present, you're a child of God. He intended you to be there. Pastor, you're going there. That's just me. You don't have to agree. But I think that life is important. But ageism is a, is a discrimination against your and de- determining your value based upon where you're at. She faced the same thing. If that wasn't enough, I already outlined it pretty well. Ladies, where you at? She faced a whole lot of sexism as well. Hey, she was good to look at. We need to throw her in here. Like we, we want to make sure that anybody we put before King Xerxes has to be a certain kind of person. How ungodly is that? Can I say that today? Listen, there is no one size fits all for beauty. There is no like size zero. How many of y'all know that zero means nothing in every other environment? But we're living in a world that says zero is what you need to shoot for. If you're naturally a size zero, praise God for that. I'm I'm happy for you. But if you're naturally an eight or a 14, come on now, praise God for that. Preaching better than you ladies are amening. Just want to say that was a good time for you to say preach that. Keep on going. Do y'all know that Marilyn Monroe was a size 14? And she was like the, the national sexism, sex symbol. Let me say it, sexism, this is a symbol for the world. Why is that? We've gotten ourselves all twisted up into this idea. We're looking at people's value based upon their gender and their size rather than seeing them through the eyes of God. I could spend a whole lot of time there. It, it's just not God. 
Listen, let's, let's no longer let the porn industry define what a man or a woman should be. Can I get a good amen? Thank you. Y'all did good on that one. The last, she faced racism. When your stepfather says, don't tell anybody where you're from. Don't tell them your nationality. I want you to get in on your good looks. I don't, I don't want them to set you to the side because you happen to be a Jew. Now, if you fast forward the story, Jews were so unimportant in their culture that one of the leaders in King Xerxes' party decided that he wanted again to commit genocide. It was, look, Hitler wasn't the first to try and kill God's people. This guy decided he wanted to do the same thing. And this is the context. This is the context that Esther is being brought up in. And when, when you read that, I don't know if this happens to you. It's kind of like, it's kind of discouraging to think that we've gone so long, that we've lived so long, and that kind of discrimination is still in the world. Does it frustrate you sometimes? Do you ever just want to throw over something sometimes? I do. I want to throw over the apple cart. Man, sometimes I want to tweet some things. I want to, I want to say some things. I, I don't do that because I, I save my Instagram and social media for sunshine and rainbows. Some of y'all may say, really? Yes. I, I, listen, if I follow you, I largely like everything you post. Listen, I have social media to celebrate my friends and to look at motorcycles. Can we do that? That's why I have it. You may say, well, are you into that? Yes, I want to celebrate my friends and I enjoy looking at motorcycles. I think it's great. But I also want you to know that if you post something and say something stupid in the, that other little comment section and you think that when I liked it, I agree with all the stupid things that you said. No, no, I just liked it because I liked you. And sometimes I have to go back and say, no, I'm unliking that. But I tend to just like things that I, because I like people. Are y'all with me? And I don't follow anybody who says a lot of craziness. Uh, listen, this will help you. It's not the message, but it's a little side note. Unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. Well, I'm married to him. Mute, mute, mute. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. Discrimination, discrimination is not a, an orphan problem. It's not a racism problem. It's not a sexism problem. It's a sin problem. Discrimination isn't a vaccination problem. Can I go there? Are y'all okay? Take a breath. It's a sin problem. It's discouraging that it's still prevalent in the world. And the reason it's prevalent is because sin is still present in the world. You say, well, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I get it. But listen, none of us have to go far to find sin. Did you look in the mirror today? You found sin. Oh, pastor, can't believe you said that. I know it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But as soon as you point, those three fingers are coming right back. Sin is present in the world. And today we are together to push back against the sin, to do better, to overcome the evil, to become the people of God. Can I get a better amen in the room, right? This is what we're doing. It's not to say it's not present. It's to say we can do better. Listen, I wish it wasn't here, but it's not going to happen like that until we get to heaven. The Bible says that in heaven, there are no more tears. 
Come on now, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. Streets of gold, pearly gates, mansions for everybody. I like this idea, okay? That's heaven. Until then, we as followers of Christ are supposed to push back against the tendency to discriminate. The tendency of sin in all of us to divide and to create obstacles so that others can't succeed. Listen to Romans chapter 16. The apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Would you read the next line full of voice? Come on. Keep away from them. Mute, 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 unfollow. I am not going to live my life looking down the laundry list of all the things that are sinful and then getting angry at 11 o'clock at night and wanting to burn something down. How about you? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not giving that kind of discrimination a place in my life. He said, I'm not letting people who put obstacles and cause divisions, I'm not letting them come into my life. I'm going to push back and I'm going to overcome this on my own, in my own heart with God. Listen to Galatians 3. It doesn't get any clearer if you're wondering about the sin deal. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So there is neither Jew or Gentile. So there's not Chinese and American in God's mind. There's, there's not slave or free in God's eyes. There's not black or white when you get to heaven. God's not like, oh, we're putting you over here. We're putting you over here. No, no. The Bible says in that verse that we are family. Come on, right? We can sing the song. It says that we're in this together. Don't mock my singing now. He says, you're not even, stop fussing between male and female for you are all, what's the word? All one. In Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That last little part, you kind of read it quickly again. He says that when you're a part of God's family, we all have the same inheritance. So there are no stepchildren in God's eyes. When you get into the family, you're in the family. And he said, listen, when I, I bought you, I knew what I was buying. I knew who you were. I brought you into my family for a reason and I'm going to bless you and give you an inheritance. Paul put that there so that we would understand that we've got to look past what we're seeing with our eyes and we've got to overcome the sinfulness that is present in all of us. It's discouraging to see that it's still present in the world. But let me give you two encouraging thoughts. What is encouraging is that we're not alone. I, I know there's this tendency in each of us to say, well, I'm the only one. You're not. Discrimination has been around for a long time. We just read Esther's story. It's been around for a long time. You're not the only one. You're not alone. You may say, well, that's not encouraging. No, it is. Because I want you to know that if Esther can overcome, so can you. That's the second encouraging thing I need you to know, that you're not alone, and that if she can do it, we can do it too. Now, we may not face the same levels. We may not face the same type of discrimination. 
But just about every person at some point in their life has faced a moment where they were no longer in the in group, but they were in the out group. Today, I didn't give you the long list, but, but we could easy, easily have discussions about discrimination, about disability. We could easily, and we're having them now, conversations about religion and discrimination and where are the lines and where is your religious freedom and where, where, how far is it? And I'm thankful that our nation was founded with some freedoms. But you can see the, the tension around medicine. You can see the tension around vaccinations. You can see the tension in all of these areas. But I, I need you to understand that the worst of us, the worst behavior of us is when we discriminate. We are least like God when we start a them and they conversation instead of a we and us conversation. We have digressed to a place that's not healthy. So listen, regardless of your status in any of those, young, old, black, white, regardless of your medical status, we are family. What's that next line? Something about all my... I know, my sister could sing it right, come on, come on. Just testing y'all right now. I, I know I, I've danced in again. We've been doing it for seven years, by the way. First Sunday of the church, God has called us to be a generational church and God has called us to be an interracial church. We let young people determine what we look like. We let older people determine who we are. Young people got lots of passion, and the older people got all the money, y'all, right? So we're, we, we're marrying it. I said that two weeks in a row. I just thought y'all could use it, okay? We're an interracial church intentionally. What does that mean? We intentionally walk across. We intentionally make sure that, that there is an out-group and an in-group discussion going on in our church. We're intentional about building an environment that's different. And you could say, well, man, why are you doing that? Because we believe it's what heaven's going to look like. Listen, I know you're great, but heaven isn't going to be two million of you. Come on, right? Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Hey, I already know you. Yep, I know you too. Yeah, I know you too. Man, I'm so tired of seeing myself in this world. Like, could we get a little diversity in heaven, y'all? I'm committed to overcoming this. And I'm always committed to tell you truth and bring a little levity. I, I try to help you to smile because the heaviness has so many of us retreating and saying nothing. And that's not the best response. The heaviness has us, even myself some Sunday, saying like, you know, I, I'm probably not going to say everything you want me to say today. And I might say something you're like, oh, that, that wasn't the be best. But give me some grace. This is my best attempt to keep dealing with one of the major sin issues that have been a part of the world since the inception of the world. Since sin entered, the enemy wants to divide us. And I'm committed to like you, even if I think you're wrong. I'm committed to love you if I know you're wrong. I'm committed to love you because that's what God would call us to do. And I am better for sitting with people that, who aren't just like me and who agree with everything. I'm better when we look at one another and say, I completely disagree with you, but I still love you. That's not easy. 
it's better. So as we prepare, I've got four things. I want to turn back to the story of Esther to see how Esther responded differently. That Esther responded differently than even what our culture is telling us to do today. I'm going to give you four truths right out of the story. Take some notes with me again here. Number one, Esther, what did she do? Esther took responsibility for herself. Instead of saying, it's not my fault, y'all did this to me. Instead of even saying, I'm a victim in this situation, which she certainly was, the history tells us she didn't have much choice in the matter. She was taken to be a part of the harem. But instead of focusing on being a victim, she decided that she was going to find a way to be victorious. Today, there's so much ideology that wants you to define yourself as a victim. And today, I need you to tell, I need you to hear this, that, that in Christ Jesus, you aren't a victim any longer. What they did was wrong. How they attacked you was wrong. What they said was wrong. I'm not diminishing any of that. But you can let what they said and did define you or you can let God define you. Are you going to be their discrimination or are you going to become the child that God has called you to be? And I love this that she said, no, 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 I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be what y'all think I'm going to be. Esther 2 and 17, she says, now the, now the king was attracted to Esther. More than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I'm going to say, well, you know, that's, this is still a, a, a terrible story. I understand. But if you read all of it, she basically went to everyone who knew the king and said, how do I get there? How do I turn this lemon into a lemonade? How do I see this to where I can be victorious rather than deciding that I'm going to live by the victimology of what's been said to me? Today, I need you to hear this. I don't want to diminish what's been done to you. But I don't want you to be defined by what's been done to you. I want you, by the grace of God, to define who you're going to become. And you can take responsibility for you. If you think about the men and women who were present when Hitler decided that he wanted to kill all the Jews, that all it would have taken was one person to take responsibility for himself or herself and say, we're not doing that. We're not killing them. We're stopping you. But instead, everyone became a victim to his ideology and his mindset. And then they committed one of the greatest atrocities in our world. I know I went heavy there. Can you stay with me, everyone? Ultimately, we all have to take personal responsibility regardless of what has happened. The second thing that Esther did is she saw the opportunity. Not only did she take responsibility for herself in the situation she was in, she said, you know what? I can become queen. And what could I do for my people and the people of God in that royal position? She saw what good could come out of it rather than the evil that was being portrayed. What would happen if she was able to turn the king to actually doing something good? Could it be that God has you in the place you're in so that you can seize the opportunity and make a difference? How many of you are letting what happened to you to diminish your view of your opportunity? Have you dismissed your opportunity because someone said your gender wasn't right? 
Have you dismissed your opportunity because someone said your color wasn't their favorite growing up? Have you allowed others to determine who you are? Or do you see the world through the lens of opportunity that's in front of you? Because listen, we are not perfect. The world is messed up. America still has work to do. But there is still opportunity in front of us. As long as I got breath in my lungs, there is opportunity in front of you. I need you to hear this. If you have stepped back because of some level of discrimination, I'm calling you to step forward. Esther 4 and 13. She says, do not, do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape the genocide. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Listen to Mordecai. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position. Come on, read it with me. For such a time as this. You're here for such a time as this. Our world is desperate for us as Christians to rise to the occasion and see the opportunity to say, hey, 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 there's a better way than what we're doing. This week, I I looked at some of the airlines and some of the decisions that they're making. And there's one airline that decided to just treat the whole vaccine mandate differently And their entire staff responded differently because instead of trying to force them and threaten them, they gave them an opportunity and nearly 90% of their company made the decision. You may say, well, pastor, you're you're dancing again in in us. No, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to make a decision for you. I like you vaccinated or unvaccinated. I love you regardless of your decision. But I want you to know that that opportunity is better than oppression. She took responsibility. She saw the opportunity. Number three, Esther asked for help. This is a big one. Because I I think there is this natural assumption that when we deal with people, that when you walk in and someone mistreats you or says something to you, that most often we think, I can't believe they did that to me. Can I say something to you? Most people aren't thinking about you. They did not wake up this morning and say, let me, let me think about how, I, how you can be okay. Most people are trying to survive drowning themselves. And you just walked up to a person that's trying to survive drowning. And then they were reflexive and they did reactive. They, were, they did what they saw and heard. And if you would just pause... And say, hey, is that who you want to be? You'd be surprised that when presented with the opportunity, when you ask for help, that they might respond differently. I do this. I do this with my child. My 13-year-old sometimes speaks out of turn. Anybody got a teenager that speaks out of turn? Come on, don't, don't raise your hand, parents. I'll raise them for you, okay? Like... And sometimes when my kids say things that they shouldn't say, I'll stop. And there's this tendency, parents, like sometimes I want to say like, I just want to give it right back to them, right? You know, like, you're being that disrespectful to me? My mom used to say when we were in the grocery with all six of us, she'd go to the grocery with six children. Lord bless her, right? She would say, you embarrass me in public. I'm going to embarrass you in public. It worked. 
But every once in a while, I'll look at my child and I'll say, listen, do you want me to respond the same way you just spoke to me or do you want to do over? Do you want a shot to, to reel all that back in and say that differently? And every single time my children have said, hey, I'll take a do over, dad. Why don't you ask me that instead of stating your, the facts? You'd be surprised when you ask for help that most people, they're reacting out of what they were taught, but when asked for help, they would respond differently when they see what's happening. This happened to me. I, I had the, the opportunity to start a business right out of high school, and my, my father was helpful. And, and so instead of going to college at 18 years old, I, I started my own subcontract business. I kind of was entrepreneurial. I, I didn't want to punch anybody else's clock. At 18, I had these ideas, right? I was like, man, paying, working for you by the hour, I can do one job and make all that all week. I, I just decided I was good. One of my early jobs, I get sent to this house, and when they open the door, it's, a, it's an older lady, and it's her house, and, and she immediately, as soon as she opens the door, she knew I was coming, it was by appointment, she said, oh, you're really young. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's true. You know, like, what, what do you say when you're 18? I, I could have just said, well, I, I mean, you're old. I didn't return evil for evil. I want you to know. And she, she kind of was trying to decide whether she was going to let me in the house. And in the moment, instead of returning evil for evil or getting angry because she was going to say I couldn't be there because I was too young, I said to her, I said, listen, I'm here to fix a mistake that someone twice my age did. And they sent me here. They sent me to fix it. If you gave him a shot, why don't you give me a shot? And when faced with it head on, she said, you know what? You're right. I'll give you a shot. Now, listen, I know our world still has environments where people's tendencies are to discriminate. But if you would ask, you'll be surprised that when faced with it head on, they go, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. And they would give you a shot. Esther 4 and 15, Esther not only asked for help from the people, she asked for God to help her. So then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. They sought God for three days because every person that went in to see the king uninvited, if he didn't reach his scepter out to invite you in, you were to be killed immediately. So Esther took responsibility, saw the opportunity. She asked for help. And number four, Esther trusted God and risked for the greater good. Today, I'm calling us to take responsibility for ourselves. I'm calling us to see beyond the oppression and look for the opportunity. I'm calling us to be a people that asks for help and gives help when asked for those that are different than us, or those who are, who are being discriminated against. But listen, no matter what side of it you're on, you're going to have to trust God and risk for the greater good. It's going to take some risk to change this in our culture. Esther 4 and 11 Last verse and we close. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed, Esther said, since I 
was called to go to the king. I will go to the king even though it is against the law. Would you read it with me? And if I perish, I perish. Today, if we're going to change our culture, if we're going to be a people that still possesses the freedoms we have today, we're going to have to trust God and risk for the greater good. We're going to have to overcome discrimination together. Would you bow with me as we pray? At home and in the room with every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, if you're here under the sound of my voice, and for whatever reason you find yourself far from God, I want you to know that God is not discriminating against you. He is inviting you to be a part of his family. And the Bible tells us that you're one prayer away from accepting God's grace, God's favor, God's blessing. All you have to do is accept his free gift. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I won't embarrass you if you're in the room. I won't ask you to stand or come to the front. But just for a moment, if you'd pray with me, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to come close to God, if you're far from for any reason, would you whisper these words? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.